Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Good? Yeah, good looking group of people out here. It's good to be here with you. Pastor Aaron asked me if I would share the message today, and I'm really honored to be able to do so. Uh, speaking of Pastor Aaron, um, my heart is just full of gratitude, and I want you to share with me in that sense of, of gratitude this morning for nine years of an amazing job of leading this church. Would you agree? Yeah. Prove it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do. I do. I find myself really, really grateful. And this may sound a bit braggadocious, but I, I'm thankful also to have been able to be around here uh, with every pastor that's been here since the inception of the church. And and nine years is the longest stay of anyone. And um, I will say, not in contrast to anybody else, but uh, I, I'm a big fan of, of Aaron Hansen and really, truly feel like I'm a better person because of time I've gotten to spend with him closely. And just really grateful for that. Aaron and Brianne have, have led well and been faithful. And I think we're all beneficiaries of that. So, um, well... I'd like to pray this morning, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Uh, by the way, before I do that, is anybody here just graduated from Fox, like in the last 24 hours? Yeah? Okay. Congratulations. That's, that's a, a big accomplishment. Um, so as we pray for this morning, I'm going to pray for you guys, too. Father, thanks so much for a chance to uh, open your word. Would you make it come, come to life? And would you use the things that are said this morning for your glory um, and for the work of your kingdom? Uh, nothing less, nothing more. You bless these graduates from Fox that are transitioning into the next phase of life. And would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill them with wisdom and clarity as to how um, you're carrying them into whatever's next for them, that they would follow closely behind you, Jesus, and uh, that they would reflect you well to a world that really, really needs you. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Who has seen The Wizard of Oz? Raise your hand, yeah? Most people? Okay, I'm, I'm sure there's some young people that are like, I've heard of it. Um, who has seen it many times? Yeah? Who would also say, it's been a while since you've seen it, a good long while, yeah. That's what I thought. Me too. One of my favorite interactions, uh, I'll just give you a little reminder of what happens in, in that story is, uh, so Dorothy and, and Toto are walking down the yellow brick road shortly after they find themselves in Oz. And they are going to meet this great cast of characters, right? Well, the first one they stumble upon in uh, a nearby cornfield stuck to a pole is the scarecrow, right? And the scarecrow, shortly after they meet, lets her know, hey, I haven't got a brain, just straw. And Dorothy replies, how can you talk if you haven't got a brain? And the scarecrow says, I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? <laughs> and uh, Dorothy agrees, yes, I guess you're right. And then finally, later in their conversation, she poses this question, which is similar to the question that I have for us today. And the question is this, what would you do with a brain? Excuse me, I gotta get in Dorothy voice. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Have you ever wanted to ask anybody that question? <laughs> huh? 
Yeah, me neither. Um, my question this morning is a little bit different. And the question is this, what would you do with a fresh start, with a clean slate, if you had one? What would you do if you had a clean slate? If you could begin again, what would you do? God is, is and has always been about fresh starts, second chances, right? Do-overs, resets, giving us what we don't have and what we couldn't have without him over and over and over. This is his character. He's offered alternatives from the beginning of time. Now, his plan, his great plan, doesn't come with alternatives. But because we fail, because we fall away, because we deviate, he's offering these second chances. And he's extended his loving, merciful hand countless times. This morning, we're going to look at one of the, the greatest messes in the Bible, the Tower of Babel. And then later, we'll look at how God has redeemed it um, at Pentecost. So the title of the message is Messy Mercy, uh, because sometimes his mercy looks a little messy. So first, a little bit of backstory. Um, start right at the beginning in Genesis 1, the creation account, right? So God has proven his power as he creates the entire earth. He showed us his plan. And then just a couple chapters later, we are faithful to mess it all up, right? So we get the fall of man, and quickly we have the deceptive character of sin and really destructive consequences that come as a result of sin. And then in addition to all that kind of bad news, we see that God divinely comes in and covers sin. We see a look at his, his mercy right there at the beginning. And even though Adam and Eve blew it, God covered them with his grace and gave them a fresh start. And not long after that, we come to Genesis 6 through 9, which is the flood account. And in the flood, we've got this story of human wickedness that's reached a, a high, a kind of a crescendo, if you will. And every inclination of people's hearts was just evil most of the time. And even then, God didn't completely give up on us. He kept Noah and his family and the animals safe on the ark and placed a rainbow in the sky, a symbol of his mercy. And we have another clean state, a slate, another fresh start. He's sensing a theme. And what did we do with that clean slate? Well, literally just a turn of a page later, we're going to find out what God's people did with that fresh start. What would you do if you had a fresh start? Genesis 11, 1 through 9, says this. Now the whole world had one language and common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth, which is what God wanted them to do. But, but the Lord came down to, this, to see the city and the tower that the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, 
Let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So we see this construction project that goes down in infamy as one of the biggest mistakes, epic failures of all time. And it's been told and retold in all sorts of different cultures beyond our, our typical, you know, we find it in scripture and, and down comes the story. What has happened here, and this to me is kind of proof of the origin of this story, is that, and you can find this, both the flood and this build a tower to heaven narrative, you can find it in Chinese history, you can find it in uh, histories in the Southeast Asia, in Africa, in South America, um, over and over and over, people are, are talking about these similar accounts. The Hawaiians have a story of a great flood and um, a great tower being built and destroyed. I mean, so no matter what the translation through time, there's this similar equation, similar stories and similar equation. The equation is bad motives plus bad materials equals a big old mess. Okay? So let's look at their motive here at Babel. A lot of scholars and theologians have chimed in on this subject and have different opinions, and I'm not exactly sure what is right in terms of the motive, the heart of those people. How could we know, seven plus thousand years ago, what, what exactly they were thinking? But Scripture makes it pretty clear that they were on their own page as opposed to, to God's. Well, some people thought maybe it was a means of escape, like they were going to build this thing out of bricks and seal it together with tar, and maybe it would be sort of like a, a stationary Noah's Ark. Like another chance to, hey, if things get really bad, at least we'll have this, right? So maybe, maybe they're trying to outwit God and shelter themselves or, as Pastor Aaron's been talking about, imprison themselves. Even though they didn't know it, maybe that's what they were doing. And maybe they're trying to get away from either God's control or his judgment or both. Or on the other hand, it could be that they were building a tower to reach up to God so that they could be with him and thus like him and sort of equal to him. Or maybe they were trying to build a tower so that they could go up and overthrow God. Because their motive appeared to be, if nothing else, selfish. So whatever their goal, whether to protect themselves from God or to reach up to God or to be like God, pride and disobedience drove their decisions. Pride and disobedience drove their decisions. Do you think they'd bought into the lie that is just exactly what Satan told Eve at the beginning? You can be like God. You think that's what's happening? It seemed like it. Evidence of that might be that everyone since, you and I included, have this seeming to have this, this tension of wanting to make a name for ourselves, of wanting to be our own God, wanting to build our own towers, stack our own bricks. It's pride, right? And Proverbs 16 makes it really clear that pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. And this, this message isn't just, hey, that's possible, that could happen. No. What the writer of Proverbs is saying, this is what happens. Pride goes before destruction. Haughty spirit before a fall. And I wonder if the writer of Proverbs was thinking about the Tower of Babel when he wrote that. 
So we can use this life that God has given us to either glorify ourselves or glorify him. One of those options works, and ultimately the other does not. He's the only one that can truly make our names great. In fact, if you turn another page to Genesis 12, we see that God tells Abraham exactly this. He says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Same line, make your name great. But I will do it, and you will be a blessing. The proof of that is today, you could try. I tried. Others have tried. You could, you could look for, is there, is there a name of somebody that was in the Babel construction time that was, that was doing that whole thing? Can we find out who the people there were? And you can't. But everybody everywhere, just about, if you said Abraham, they'd know exactly who you were talking about. Here's the difference. Mankind's, we will make our name great, and God's, I will make your name great, are dramatically two different things. One works, one doesn't. So what I'm implying this morning is that we examine our motives and consider what it would be like to use this life and the opportunities we're given to glorify God rather than ourselves. Our motive does matter. The next thing to look at is the materials. The materials. The tower they built at Babel was probably known as what they called a ziggurat. Ziggurat. That's where we get the word cigarette. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. Um, <laughs> ziggurat was like a, a pyramid, a f like four-sided, and as it goes up, it, it gets smaller. It's like this step-built thing, kind of like the pyramids. Um, and there was a lot of these built. You can, archaeologists have, have, have found these. And every time at the top, there's a little shrine that's built to some god or goddess. So they were making one of these type of structures. And they had created bricks from mud and baked them. Uh, they used tar for the mortar, right? And they intended to build stack by stack by stack up, up, up to eventually reach heaven. By the way, if you're making a structure that keeps getting smaller, come on, guys. <laughs> um, but, and, and, and so you and I know, on many levels, this would never work, okay? And they would have come to find out, had they kept building, both regarding the external structure they were making, that it was going to come to an end, it wasn't going to work, keep stacking, you're not going to get there, and the internal reality that I'm trying to become God, play God, get to God, overthrow God, I don't know, keep myself away from God while I'm getting to God. You know, all these, that wasn't going to work either. It's just never going to be enough. It's not going to be enough bricks, and it's not going to satisfy internally because it's not, not the right move. Heard a story once of a rich man who when he was sick and dying on his deathbed, asked his wife, hey, would you gather a whole sack of money, please, and take it up to the attic and hang it from the rafters right above my bed here so that when I die, my spirit will go up and on the way I'll grab the sack. Okay? And as the woman was grieving after he had passed, mid-grief, she sort of remembered, oh, the attic. And so she ran up, and sure enough, there was the sack, still there, full of money. And she thought, oh, 
I should have put the sack in the basement. <laughs> Sorry. Just waking you up with a mid-sermon stupid joke. You're welcome. Um, but there's a point there. The point is, earthly stuff will never make a heavenly connection. Our earth, earthly stuff, our earthly efforts, aren't going to make that heavenly connection that ultimately is what we long for anyway. Jesus warned us, don't put your hope in these material things. In Matthew 6, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when our treasure's in the wrong things, our heart's in the wrong place. That just is what it is. That's simple math. Rather than stacking brick upon brick upon brick in material possessions here, what would it be like for us to invest in heaven and doing God's work, building the kingdom, spiritual brickwork? So I ask you and I ask me, what, what kind of brick and mortar work are you doing for God? What, what kingdom activity is priority in your life right now? Well, let's look at the third part, the mess. The wrong motives, the wrong materials lead to a big mess. People of Babel started with this big conceited, hey, let's go up, right? And God's answer was a calm, let's go down. And he says, I assume to the Son and the Holy Spirit, let us go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. And then everything started to fall apart, right? Now, you could read this if you were a skeptic and didn't really know the, the character of God. Hey, guys, come here. Jesus, come here. Hey, Holy Spirit, come here. We're going to go down there. You're going to love this. And we're going to confuse their languages. And they're just going to go nuts. It'll be great. Come on. You know, you could, like, let's just go kick down their sandcastle. Like, you know, you picture these, these bullies running, running along on the beach and there's these kids building a sandcastle. And just <laughs> Right? That, that could be the picture that you create in your mind about this. But the reality is it is, hey, guys, we got a plan. We got to accomplish that plan. They're off. We got to get them where we told them to go. This is how we got to do it. You know? Because he knows pain is coming, and he loves us dearly and deeply. So it's not like he wants our pain, but he will accomplish his plan. And so it's not just the, the building's going to stop being built. You know, they stop construction. It's what about this whole language thing? Would that have just not been just crazy? I mean, can you, can you imagine it? I'm picturing like this, this foreman of, of the job site, right? Guy, his name's probably Glenn, right? And he's the foreman at, at Babel Builders. And, you know, Glenn's this guy. And, and he calls out. He says, hey, Roger, give me another brick. And keep them coming. Hurry up. And where's Dan with all the tar? You know? And, and Roger turns and says, Dan, big waves, goodbye. Glenn's like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Right? And then Dan comes running up, tar all over his feet. <laughs> and Roger and Glenn are like, what did he say? 
And so begins years, I imagine, of trying to figure out what are we supposed to do with this madness? I used to go out to coffee with Roger and talk about life and his kids, and I went hunting with Dan just last week, you know, and now I can't string together one thing that weirdo is saying. Just, right, madness. Thousands of people, by the way. And so I'm sure somewhat begrudgingly, filled with frustration and confusion, this is traumatic, tragic, devastating stuff going on here. They found people that did understand them, and they clumped up in little pods and made their way away from the crazy frustration and toward life with people they could live with. And as a result, now we've got new cultures and civilizations. So even though God made a mess of things, he also showed great mercy. By confusing their language and scattering them all over the earth, God graciously spared their lives and gave them another new beginning, a theme. His messy mercy offered another chance and accomplished his will. And I think that's something we'll see if we look at the grace and mercy of God, is that he's always offering us another option to be connected to him, but he's also always fulfilling his plan. So the Tower of Babel shows us that sometimes in his mercy, God has to destroy something to build something better. Sometimes in his mercy, he has to destroy something to build something better. There's a story of a businessman in London named Lindsay Clegg, who he had this big warehouse property. And I'd been sitting dormant for a, a couple of years, and uh, there was an interested buyer. And so he met with this gentleman, and they went to take a look at it. Well, it had been ransacked, and, and looters and vandals had come and broken out the windows, and doors were broken, and the interior of the, the whole warehouse was just in shambles. It was a mess. And as they're walking the, the property and the building, uh, Lindsay is saying to the potential buyer, hey, look, I'm going to bring a crew in. We're going to fix the damage. We're going to replace the windows. We'll clean up. Um, and, and the buyer said, stop. Don't worry about it. You, you, don't, you don't need to repair anything. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. All I want is the site and the permission to build. Friends, Compared to the renovation work that God wants to do in the Babylonians way back when and in you and I today, sweeping the corner of the warehouse when it's slated for the wrecking ball doesn't make much sense. Right? When we become gods, truly, it can be a total reset, truly a do-over. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're familiar with this verse, says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. All he wants is the sight and permission to build. Babel shows us that bad motives and bad materials make a big mess and that God should have been the builder from the beginning. Amen? Well, there's one more thing I want to look at in closing this morning uh, at this amazing account in Scripture. God redeems it, like he always does, 
and in this, in this case, at Pentecost, which to the Jewish believers before Jesus, Pentecost was a time for people from all over to come make this big trip to the Jewish Mecca, which was Jerusalem, and celebrate the fact that God had given him the law through Moses years and years ago, and they had this guidance, these, these laws on stone tablets, and they knew how they were to live their lives and how they were to not live their lives, thanks to God revealing himself to Moses. So they were celebrating it, and they called that celebration Pentecost. Well, after the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, Pentecost took on a new name as 120 believers, shortly after Jesus went away, were meeting, grieving, praying what is next, and the Holy Spirit fell on them in a powerful way. And one of the evidences of that was different language. At Babel, language was confused. Here's what happened at Pentecost. These languages went out of this, this upper room to people around that had gathered to celebrate. And they heard in their language the great love story of Jesus. They heard in a way that they could understand this new covenant that replaces the old contract. This reality that written on the hearts of men and women that would say yes to Jesus is the law of love. Big change. Pretty hard to understand in another language. But God, in his love and his mercy, made what looked like a pretty messy thing happen. And he clarified for all those people at that time the greatest truth. So, Pentecost serves as God's redemptive reversal of Babel's devastating division. Right? It's the reversal of Babel. So we'll quickly compare Babel and Pentecost here. So, Babel is displaying the spirit of arrogance and pride, while Pentecost displayed the power of love. Babel divided people through language confusion, Pentecost united people through language clarity. Pretty cool. These people all showed up to celebrate Pentecost the old way. And through God's translation, he supernaturally put things in their language so that they could go back, spread out again, and let his great love be known in a way they could understand. Babel shows people full of themselves. Pentecost shows people full of God. Right? The Babylonians, they wanted to further their own power, make their name great. Followers of Christ wanted to further God's power, make Jesus' name great. And then further, Babel brought the destruction of the tower. But Pentecost brought the foundation of the church and placed the temple within his followers' hearts. Like we, have you heard this? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This tower they were trying to build to reach God, God said, no, 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 I reach down. You don't have to reach up. 
I got this. Now the temple is in you. I am in you. Oh, I wish they had known that back then. Babel scattered people over the face of the earth to tell their children of God's powerful wrath. Pentecost scattered believers over the face of the earth to tell the world of Jesus' love and his power to save. A lot of people understand this idea of a scary, wrathful God that they are scared to face at judgment. But the reality is, God's primary character trait is love. And all he wants is a personal love relationship with you and I. So these people scattered, right? That's always been the go. Fill the earth. They scattered and they went back to their homelands after this new Pentecost. They told everyone in language they could understand the gospel, the great love story of Jesus. Friends, God has always been about redemption. He's always been about reconciliation, and he always will be. So back to my original question. What would you do with a fresh start if you had one? Would you build with the right motives? Seeking God's glory instead of your own? Would you work with the right materials, storing up treasures in heaven instead of here on earth? Would you try to avoid the big mess by surrendering your will to his and doing things his way? It's a fair question this morning. I'm certain that all of us can undoubtedly relate to both Babel in our lives and Pentecost in our lives. We can relate to just being a wretched sinner. You know, like Paul says, you know, he's the chief of them. And we look up to Paul and gosh, well, where am I at? We can relate and we can also say, no, you know what? The Lord says, I'm a saint, not a sinner. I'm his beloved child. Because of the Holy Spirit living in me, I can live the life I'm designed to live. So we can relate to both. As you look at that this week, I want to encourage you to let that, let that change you. Let that percolate in you. Can we move away from Babel and toward Pentecost? Hopefully you know what I mean by that. Why don't you stand with me this morning, and uh, we're going to end our time together with worship and a chance to maybe stop and pause and reflect. By the way, that's all that worship is, right? It's an opportunity to face God. We can do that through singing. We can do that with the work of our hands. We can do that uh, by listening to the Word. There's lots of ways to worship. As we wrap up here today, we're going to do that with a song, and I do invite you. Maybe there's kind of a mess going on in your life right now. Maybe you're feeling like, you know, I could really use a new, fresh start, <clears throat> but I've done this, or I've done that, or, man, I could just relate so much with Babel that it, maybe i got to clean myself up a little bit before I can get a clean, fresh start. That's not the truth, friends. It's available upon just saying, Lord, forgive me. I need your mercy. I need your grace. And I want a do-over. I am due for the reset button. Well, it's red. It's blinking. Push it. <laughs> it's available all the time. Will you pray with me this morning? The Spirit of the living God, I... 
I know you're calling us to offer the sight to you and let you build. You just want permission to come in and to do whatever demo needs to be done, to do whatever construction needs to be done. And I pray that each, each person here in Jesus' name would be willing and able to simply lay down their need to make a name for themselves, their need to be their own God, their need to build their own life and offer you a chance to take over, to construct something that could only be exponentially better than that which we're building. Pray you'd enter into hearts right now with an urgency to release their lives to you. That no one would get away this morning without a touch from you. Thank you that your presence has been here. We trust you to do the work that only you can do. And now as we sing, uh, may we reflect, may we offer ourselves in a new and more complete way to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.